Oh, hey everyone, and welcome to Chef AJ Live. I'm your host, Chef AJ, and this is where I introduce you to amazing people like you who are doing great things in the world that I think you should know about. As most often happens on Chef AJ Live, one guest is referred by another guest. And last week's guest, Dr. Rachel Rubin, introduced me to this week's guest. You are going to love her accent because I was raised by a French aunt, and I just love the way. French people sound. Her name is Dr. Isabelle Amig. She is going to talk about optimal nutrition in inflammatory conditions, and she's going to talk about her journey, a very inspiring journey of having stage four cancer. Please welcome her to the show. Enchanté de faire votre connaissance. <laughs> Merci. <laughs> Bonjour. Thank you I so love the much. French. I've never been to France, but I love everything French. I love the show Emily in Paris. I love the sound of the, I love I love the accent. I love the people. So um, I'm, I'm, it's going to be a, a pleasure listening to you. So you have quite a story. I do. <laughs> I do. Do you want me to go directly and talk Absolutely, about it? Absolutely. Because I mean, and I know that nutrition plays a part of it, but mm -hmm. you know, we've had some people on the show, you know, with cancer that are in various stages of their journey. Some might say they're fully recovered. Some are in the process, but I think, you know, there's a lot of diseases people can get, but I think that most people maybe would feel the cancer might be the scariest because there's so many unknowns. Yeah. 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 And, um, yeah, absolutely. So, and, and especially because it was stage four and, uh, stage four, yeah, there's no other stage after stage four, basically that's the worst. <laughs> uh, and so, yeah, I, even, especially as a physician, it was very scary. Uh, when I got the diagnosis, it was very scary, but yeah, let, let me uh, introduce. So, because I'm going to talk about my cancer journey, but I'm, I'm a rheumatologist at core. I've done two rheumatology training, one in France and one in the U.S. Uh, I had the choice. I could have done some other specialty, but I think rheumatology is the best specialty on earth and probably in the universe, really. <laughs> uh, and so I repeated it uh, at Columbia University. And the reason I share this is that I really want to share the fact that my background is very scientific. I've done uh, uh, research. I continue to do research. I've done a lot of evidence-based medicine. I practice evidence-based medicine. And so, and that's that's really wanna, what I want to share. Uh, but when it came to my story, I think what's really cool is that I had the evidence-based medicine and I had discovered the power of intuition, which ultimately was proven by evidence-based medicine. So I really wanted to just share this as a background. So um, my story is, is uh, this, at... Two weeks after 40, I was actually, I was doing a 40-year-old uh, um, midlife crisis. It was pretty painful. Uh, so I had finally finished, I mean, I had finished for a while my second training in rheumatology. I was, uh, I had moved to Denver. I was in this really awesome institution and uh, in, and I had kids, which I had had so many difficulties getting. And then here I am sort of like from outside, it looks amazing. And I was so sad and I was so depressed and I would cry. And like, I remember the only time that I would not cry would be when I would see patients or when I would like oblige myself to, um, to do some research and just like, I would put a timer to make sure that I would actually work on the research that I was working on, but otherwise I would just cry. And um, and so two weeks after my 40th birthday, which was not a fun birthday because it, it had snowed and it was like depressing, 
um, I'm going into the shower to cry. And I look down, you know how you're looking at the water and I'm looking down the water and my tears that are all like, mixed and I see a bump on my right breast. And the first thought, of course, um, I'm a physician. The first thought was like, eh, this is not supposed to be here. So I get out of my shower and I'm like, I'm showing this to my now ex-husband and I'm like, look, and he's an incredibly good physician, um, the best physician I've ever met, really. And I was like, look, and like, he's touching and, you know, very, very scientifically. And he's like, yeah. So I called my, uh, like, I didn't have a primary care physician, but basically I got to do a biopsy um, the day that I was leaving to France. So as part of this 40-year or midlife crisis, I had decided I'm going to go to France, even if it's for an extended weekend. I don't care. I need this. So, and they did the biopsy and they were like, well, are you sure you want to go to France? And I'm like, yeah, I mean, what is it going to change? So I decided to go to France and I mean, the radiologist had no doubt. It was like, yeah, it's also in the lymph nodes. Um, and I'm like, I'm going to go to France and who knows, maybe this is one of those, you know, very uncommon diagnosis and so on. So I'm going to France. I get the final diagnosis while surrounded by my family is and friends and I'm like wow okay my midlife crisis went from a midlife crisis to actually a at this stage free cancer and then we confirmed that it, we learned that it was stage four that it had gone to the liver and the bone the reason I share this is that the first thing that one of my friends who's not a physician did was that she was on the phone with me when I I had hung up with my um with my ex-husband now ex-husband and he had told me the diagnosis and uh, she calls me and she's like, no, but don't worry. Like it's your Isabel and you're, of course, like you're not doing your normal midlife crisis. You're not just divorcing your, <laughs> you know, you're doing a, you know, cancer and you're going to show us how it's done. And I have no worries. And the funny part is that this phrase, like, like words matter so much to me. Like this phrase really like carried me through the whole journey when I was afraid there, like, of course you're afraid when you has, when you have cancer, of course you're afraid when you have stage four, uh, but I carried her words like, oh, you're going to show us how it's done. And, uh, and then I met a naturopath. And the reason I share this is that I'm, I had never met a naturopath in my life, but somehow I was called to meet this person and she opened her practice on a Saturday because I was there like from Friday to Monday. I was in France like for four days and not even three days. And I met this enteropath and she tells me, you know, don't see your cancer as an enemy. See it as a friend who's here to teach you something. And once you've learned it, you know, like any good friend is going to go away. Of course, from a medical scientific purposes, you're like, yeah, this is a little bit BS. <laughs> but in my mind, I was just like, you know what? I would like, I was such in a deep, sad place. Now I have this cancer that I have to deal with. And I would much rather think that this is a friend. I have so much to learn. I don't know what I want with my life. I don't know where I want to be. I don't want what I want to do. And I would much rather think that this cancer is a friend rather than an enemy because it's part of me. It has my DNA. And I would rather have this idea that I have some sort of control over it than no control. And so I, I am so grateful for this naturopath who taught me, who, who taught, I want to say taught, taught me this, because I think it taught me a different approach to medicine. Uh, and so this is where nutrition uh, plays a role. On my way back to the U.S., 
Okay, no, before that, my, one of my friends is like, you know, Isabel, you should change the way you're eating. So I'm a very, I was a very, I'm going to eat fast type of person. So I would like get food that was in the frozen section, put it in the microwave and and voila, like that's all. Or I would eat pasta, would eat a lot of sugar. Some some of my some of my meals would be just sugar because I loved it. And I was just like, oh, the only thing mm. I want is to not be too, 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 too big, but otherwise yeah. I don't really care. And yeah. um, and then I I hear my friends say that. Then on the flight, there is a and somehow it's really interesting when you're really vulnerable, you meet like incredible people. So on the flight, I kind of become friend with this uh, steward. And I tell him about the fact that I just got diagnosed with <laughs> breast cancer. And he tells me about his mom that has brain cancer. And he explains, you know, you should change your diet. And and I'm like, well, I don't want to restrict myself. And he's like, wait, why are you seeing it as restriction when what you should look at is how many new possibilities you have so that was like really cool to hear and I was like wow you know I never thought of this like instead of saying oh you need to do a diet it's like no change your nutrition find new things so I kind of made it like a thing where I was like I'm gonna go to whole food and I'm gonna find a vegetable that I've never tried or like a legume that I've never tried so I've discovered sunshok I love it I've discovered turnip I had never tried and it's just like those really cool things kale or like bok choy I mean I had never tried those things and suddenly I'm here and trying those new uh, vegetables and it's the third person I, I went to see someone to help me for my, uh, like a coach, someone to help me for my uh, cancer journey because I felt like I needed help. And she's like, well, change your diet. <laughs> and I was like, okay. Third person telling me, fine, I'm going to change my diet. That's it. <laughs> you know, three people that have nothing in common are telling me to change my diet. I am hearing you. And um, the reason it was so hard for me at first and why it needed to be those three people to change my diet was that the the science it's really hard to prove that a certain diet a certain choice of nutrition does something uh because this like it, it's like science is really hard to prove in a human body because you have to show that it's only this one thing that differs into the two groups and then at the end they have you know they have difference and so someone that's very healthy and like has a very healthy diet, most of the time, they also are people who exercise. They also are people who are going to make sure that they are not smoking. And so it's really hard to prove that a certain diet is actually of interest. And so, for example, in cancer, there is this whole, there is a whole movement of saying you should not eat sugar. When I looked at, uh, when I looked at the, at the studies, I couldn't really find super good studies on that. Yet, I was like, it actually makes sense. Cancer cells are very simplistic cells, so they don't know how to metabolize other type of nutrition. And so sugar is just like right off to the cancer cell. So I'm going to stop eating, you know, sugar and uh, glucose, you know, like, you know, basically processed food, easy access sugar. I'm going to stop that. And so I did that. Um, and I'm still, you know, trying to do that at least, you know, 80%. Uh, but so that I think is really, really important is to realize that the reason I wasn't like running into this diet changes was that I was like, well, the studies are not so clear. There are some that are saying yes, some are saying no. 
So it's not that clear. And then there is this thing that happened at one point I was like, hold on. Yes, I'm a physician and I need to share things that are evidence-based medicine to my patients. But when it comes to my own health journey, I'm going to do what means like what feels right for me and what intuitively works and, and, you know, calls me. And so that's why I was like, I'm changing my diet. It's free people. I believe in the universe talking to me right now. I'm changing my diet. I'm doing a whole food plant-based diet. That's it. And so I did this. And the truth is that I changed this diet. It was hard at first because I wasn't used to this. Um, but honestly, I, I was, I felt the best that I've ever felt in my life. <laughs> and I really think it was part of the diet because I don't think it was the chemotherapy that made me feel good, <laughs> you know? Um, so that's, you know, that's the first part. So why I changed my diet. Um, I didn't just change the diet. So I think that that's really important. I did other stuff. I did, I practiced mindfulness. I did a lot of meditation. I did a lot of visualization, affirmations. I did exercise, I journaled. Uh, and I try to surround myself with love. And so, you know, I think that that's really important to say that it wasn't just the diet. And of course, I did the chemo. Of course, I did the radiation therapy. And of course, I did all of those things. But I think that that's really important to say it wasn't just the diet. Um, so uh, unless you have questions about this journey, I would love to talk about what, you know, like why it's linked to rheumatology for me. Um well, I'd like to know, I mean, I can't imagine, you know, what, what, how did you feel when you got the diagnosis and you had, I mean, you had three-year-old twins that that's gotta be, and you True. already were feeling so good, you know, to start with. So that, that must've yeah. been just kind of like the nail on it, the coffin. You know? I think it was almost like this, someone is taking your head and like pushing it down further into the, into the swimming pool and, and at the bottom of the swimming pool, there's a bottom to propulse you out. And that is how I felt. Um, because <laughs> I remember to my friend, I was like, that was so positive. And she was like, oh, you're going to show us that it's done. I was like, well, I guess my midlife crisis is over now. <laughs> you know, it was like, well, that was a short one because it was just like, okay, my midlife crisis is over. Now I need to deal with this. And, um, I, you know, I went into, I went into deep reflection of what this meant to me and did I want to live or did I want to leave? Uh, so that was, that was a big, that was a big, um, I learned how to love myself, uh, which is, which sounds weird. It's not like I didn't love myself, but I don't think I loved myself <laughs> like really, truly deeply, which when you think about it is probably one of the reasons I didn't really care about how I was eating because it didn't matter to me. Like I was just passing through and I was just like, I think I was very much ego oriented. So I wanted to have my name on a published study. I wanted to, you know, be, uh, you know, recognized by my peers and so on. And I think I went really deep and, you know, at one point I, I was like, I have to be okay with the fact that I may die from this, I don't know. I hope not. I'm going to visualize that I'm alive. And at the same time, if I die, I want to make sure that I live the rest of my life intentionally, that I create a relationship with my kids, that I find love. Because I felt that there was no more love in my relationship with my ex-husband. And 
it's funny like it's almost that like there's more love now because we are more friends now than we were then uh and so yeah I think that it was kind of this realization of like wow I haven't lived the life that I needed to live like it's almost like yeah um just this realization that this is not what I want to do with my life which honestly the midlife crisis had already started showing right it's almost like a veil had been unveiled and suddenly I'm seeing this life and it looks amazing from outside right like oh look at her she's a physician she's married to another physician she has twins they're so cute oh this is so adorable and then you actually look deep inside my heart and I'm not feeling loved and I you know I don't feel that there is any connection with my kids and I feel like a horrible mom and I didn't want to be next to my kids. Um, I had no energy for them. And I didn't want to be next to my husband then. And so I just wanted to escape. And here this cancer comes and is kind of giving me this choice of, do you want to stay? Yeah. Um, what it seems like to find, it seems like so many people that find out they have cancer that I'm hearing from find it at a later stage. Why is that you think? So this, uh, the one, first of all, I had other things on my mind then. And so, so it's very strange. I went to see someone who did a, uh, who did a, a breast exam uh, in November. Uh, so I got diagnosed in like April, early April. And I, and I had done this like, you know, not like what, not even six months prior, I had had a breast exam. So I was like, okay, I'm good. Um, and breast exam are just not as good as, as, uh, as, you know, like mammogram mammography. Uh, the issue is that I would not touch my breast because I've been always scared of having breast cancers. I've never, you know, touched myself. Even now I don't, <laughs> but I do mammography and MRI for this other breast that I have still. Um, and so, yeah, I, I think that, uh, it's not on your mind. Like if it's not, on, and, and, and the truth is that, I mean, I don't think it should be on our mind. Like you want to live a life, like you want to live your life. Uh, I think it's on my mind personally now when I'm like, okay, this is time to do my mammography. This is time to do my MRI. And then I go and see my doctors. But I consider that the job of the doctor is to reassure you so that you have a normal life. Uh, and then this cancer is a very aggressive one because it has this receptor at the top. So it's a HER2 positive. It was, sorry, pass, pass, pass. It was a HER2 positive breast cancer. And so there is this receptor that makes it very aggressive because it's kind of like telling the cancer cells to multiply. So then like that it went very fast once it was there. Uh, but at the same time, and so this is where it's really cool is that the same thing that makes it very aggressive also makes it that it responds very well to treatment. And so we have immunotherapy that targets directly this receptor and basically does pew, no more cancer cell and then they go away. And so I was like, okay, it's her too positive. I'm gonna, I'm gonna go into this idea that maybe this is, this is a good thing. And, and, uh, and we, we can take care of this and we can, you know, treat this with treatment, which it did, which it did. And the rest of all of this other work, the nutrition and uh, visualization and meditation and all of this, what it did is that it allowed me to live a life where I kind of rebuilt myself and I kind of felt like good, even though I was going through cancer. 
you know? And so that's like the empowerment of the patient. And I think that that's so valuable and so important. And I want all my patients to get that. Did you have a strong family history of cancer? Well, so that's actually really funny. Yeah, and I think almost... So when I was a kid, I've always, I think that that's actually one of the reasons I became a doctor because I wanted to, I wanted to uh, defeat death. Uh, I don't think I've shared this with a lot of people, but anyway, so the job, like why I went to, do to medicine, I was like, I'm going to defeat death, right? <laughs> and then my first training, my first training in a hospital was in a cancer um, and I was just seeing all of those people dying and I was like, whoa, I'm not defeating death at all here. Like we are not defeating death. Like this is not on us. And so then I discovered rheumatology and I was like, well, I'm not going to defeat death, but I'm going to defeat pain and I'm going to defeat inflammation. Um, what's really, really cool, uh, for the years. And I have more than 20 years of, you know, training is that you come from this place as, you know, I started when I was, what, 17, 18 years old, medicine. And then you come from this place and you're like, hold on, I don't do anything. It's all my patients who are doing things. I'm the witness of the healing of my patients. And so I think that that's so important that we realize that the doctor is just a coach on the sideline that's helping the team to make it. And the team is like, you know, the mind, the body and the spirit, and we're just helping our patients make it and, you know, succeed. Um, but we are just a coach. I think that I see my role as a physician, as a coach, but yeah. So every, like the reason I wanted to defeat death was that when I was hearing my parents, it sounded that almost everyone in their family had died either of very old age, especially in the Corsican uh, descent that I'm from. Um, so my mom is Corsican. Uh, like the Actually, there's Napoleon right now in the theater. So Napoleon is from Corsica and Corsica is French and it, it became French. It was sold to France by Italy only one year before Napoleon was born, which would have made Napoleon Italian otherwise, which I think is super cool. So anyway, I come from there. My mom is from there. And so either they lived very, very long, like 100 years old, 98 years old, or they had died early on because of cancer. So there was a history of cancer. And later on, we learned that uh, I'm BRCA positive. So I, you know, like I'm closer to Angelina Jolie, <laughs> thanks to that. So, you know, I'm BRCA positive. And then we found out that my mom is BRCA positive. And thanks to that, I think that that's really wonderful she removed of ovaries because there's more ovary uh, um, risk for cancer and that's harder to detect and harder to treat. So she removed our ovaries. Uh, they offered us to remove the breast, but the truth is that you can do a mammogram, you can do um, an MRI and those are very good and you can pick up now things much earlier. So yeah, good question, yeah. yeah what, what treatment did you have and was it successful? Super successful, incredibly successful. Uh, so I did chemo, I did uh, the immunotherapy, which is called this uh, HER2 receptor uh, agonist. Basically, it stops the HER2. So it goes on the HER2, the receptor I was telling you, it goes there and it says, stop. And it stops. Like, it's almost like, just imagine the cell and it is like flops it. Uh, so I got that. And then later on, I got radiation therapy. That was painful. Um, and yeah, then radiation. Tell me about that. It was painful. Yeah, it burns. Um, that sounds I mean, terrible. It, it went, yeah, well, 
I think, you know, I went through chemotherapy and that was not super, it wasn't enjoyable, but there was something very incredible about it because I was still rock climbing and I was just like, oh, look at me, I'm rock climbing. And I just went, so I would go to my chemo and then I would rock climb after. Um, and so, and then I had this whole thing that I was doing for myself. So I would not eat the day before, I would, I would do, sorry, I would I just do bone broth the day before and the day of the chemo with this idea, again, not the science is not clear about this. However, it made sense to me. So I was like, I'm doing this. So basically, right, like fasting with this idea that when the chemo comes, it's going to like, that's the first sort of sugar that my cancer cell are going to see. And so they're going to gulp it. They're going to eat it all, right? And so I was like, I'm not eating the day before and the day of the chemo. But then what I would do the day after, because I knew I still had my taste bud were still there, I would offer myself the best restaurant in town. And I would, at that moment, I would be like, I'm going to eat whatever I want. And of course, I was pretty good with my diet, but it was like, I'm going to reward myself for having done two days of any food, really, like, except for bone broth. Um, the cool thing is that I do think that it helped with tolerating uh, the chemo better. And again, like, you know, I'm, you know, within three weeks, there was more, like, more, no more tumor. It had gone. Um, that said, again, like, the chemo by itself can do that. So is it the chemo or is it the chemo plus the diet or plus, you know, the uh, not not eating the fasting before? We don't know. But why, why it doesn't matter that we don't know, because at the end of the day, it made sense for me. So I did it. And, and then, you know, I can just say, okay, this is what I did personally, but like everyone is very different. It just made sense to me. Wow. And then so surgery. Much, yeah. Oh yes. Yeah, so, so you had everything pretty much. I did everything. Honestly, like the surgery, someone offered like my oncologist offered me not to do surgery because we couldn't see any more cancer left, which is crazy. So you go from an orange-sized tumor to nothing. Um, but I did surgery because there was some calcification still in that breast. And I remember she was like, would you be really upset if we do the surgery, we remove your breast, and then ultimately there's no cancer? And I'm looking at her, I'm like, Hell no, I'd be loving the fact that there's no cancer in there. <laughs> like that would be that, like it's really worked. Um and there was maybe a little bit cancer left. Um, with I still don't know. I'm gonna think that it was maybe just, you know, some sort of scarring, but there was still a little bit of cancer left, but it was all gone, all gone. What do you have to do now? And how how are you like? living your life now differently? And what advice do you have for somebody that has a cancer diagnosis? Okay, so I still uh, get actually like the immunotherapy because uh, it has a high recurrence rate. Um, so some people call it non-evidence disease instead of uh, remission. I call it remission because there is no evidence of disease on treatment. So I just don't like the word no evidence of disease because it's almost like it's like they're hiding, you know, and then it's like, okay, I'm going to pop. Uh, and so I think that word matters. I call it remission. I'm in remission. I cannot say that I'm cured because I have still some treatment. Okay. I don't care. Like, I'm just like, I'm totally fine. I'm living my life <laughs> and I take the medication every three weeks. And I'm super grateful to have access to this medication every three weeks. And in, in addition, I take 
aromatase inhibitor, I think letrazole, letrazole and I was on tamoxifen when I still had my ovaries. So that, yeah, we removed the ovaries as well. It took me a while to accept to remove the ovaries, uh, but I did end up uh, removing the ovaries um, because I was- Does just, that like, mean that you went into menopause early? Yeah, I did go so to menopause. Well, talk about that because you're a very young woman and I, I mean, yeah. nobody, no, the people I talk to don't like it at any age, but you've had to go through it very yeah, early. that was interesting. Um, yeah, so basically, not only you go into menopause, but then you cannot do uh, hormone replacement therapy. However, you can get the thing that Dr. Rachel Rubin loves, right? You can still put some uh, horm um, uh, estrogen inside the vag. Uh, the how do you say vagina? <laughs> so you can put that uh, inside the vagina in the in, and that actually like really helps having a totally normal uh, sexual life. Yeah, this is great. Yeah, yeah, and uh, and I don't know. Like uh, so, in terms of the hot flashes, actually, what has really helped me was uh, is the grape seed oil. You can take that. It's over the counter. I buy it on Amazon. And it works amazingly. And I looked at the studies, actually. There are some really good studies. Uh, so my oncologist recommended it to me, and I took it. And I have close to no hot flashes as long as I take it. And, you know, because you always try to not take it, I try to not take it. And uh, it comes back. <laughs> the hot flashes come back. So now I just take it. It's well, you, so easy. At least, at least when you're old enough to go through menopause, you won't have to do it then. <laughs> You think so? You think it's going to stop at one point? Well, I, don't, I mean, I don't know, but I'm trying to look at <laughs> the right side. You know, you have a lot of doctors on this show. And one of the things I keep hearing, you know, of course, cancer is multifactorial and everybody's case is different. But I keep hearing that exercise plays a key role in, in both, you know, recovery and just yeah. prevention. And I'm curious, do you exercise? Did you? Are you exercising? Oh, my gosh. Yes. Now? Oh, yes. And yes. And yes. Sorry. I was like all prepared to talk about nutrition, but I love talking no, we, about we, this. We can, no we, can go, we, can go there, we can go there next. It's just that I'm interested. No, no, I love story it. Because you're the real person behind the story. And yeah. I want to inspire people to, that if they get a very dire diagnosis, no, totally. it's a death sentence, you know? Totally. Yeah, absolutely. So totally. And you were asking me what I say to patients that have uh, a cancer. I, um, uh, like to come back to that question that you had earlier, I think that we have to realize that 20, we're almost 2024. I'm so grateful to be a physician in this era. I am also so grateful to be a patient in this era. I'm also so incredibly grateful to be a mom in this era. We are seeing such an incredibly advances in medicine. And so I think I held on to this when I had my cancer diagnosis. I was like, we are, uh, it was 2019. We are in 2019. The treatments we have now are so different than what they used to be 10 years ago. So you cannot just look at what my grandfather went through or what, you know, like your mom or your aunt or your uncle or some friends that went through one because every single cancer is different. But the second thing is that like we just like, like the science is just incredible. And those immunotherapy, like melanoma used to be a death sentence when I started medical school. Now we have immunotherapy that actually can cure it, uh, cure. Uh, stage four melanoma can be cured. Stage four lung cancer can be cured. It's not all of them. 
but it's a lot of them. And I've seen a ton of what in the past would have been called miracle and that now we can just say are advances in science. And so I think that that's super important to realize that there's always hope. And when it comes to rheumatologic disorder, which some people are like really scared about it and all this, and I'm like, no, we have treatment that can get you to remission. So there's no reason to be afraid or to be, uh, uh, yeah, to be like hopeless because there's so much hope. So I want to say that. Now, talking about exercise. Yes, 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 yes. <laughs> Um, so I was telling you that I continue rock climbing. So I love rock climbing. I'm not very good at it, but I love it. And, uh, I would do my chemo. I mean, I would, you know, like, like one of the most incredible moments for me during my cancer journey, there were so many, but that one was, I went to get my chemo and we had an au pair at the time. And so I knew she would take care of the kids and I had the choice, do I go back to my house and take care, like, you know, and watch the kids or do I go and rock climb? And I remember I was like, I am, I don't have enough energy to watch the kids right now. They're gonna crawl on me, they're gonna jump on me. I don't wanna do that. I'm gonna go rock climbing. And so I went rock climbing and I remember I put the rope up and as I'm putting the rope up and I start just like climbing and I'm like, wow. I am not dead today. And that was huge. And so I think that uh, like exercising has like so many benefits. One of them, I think for me was psychological where I was like, I'm defying death right now. And so I'm not dead today. I'm alive. And rock climbing is not given to everyone. And so the fact that I was rock climbing at that moment, I was like, I'm not dead. And so I had a couple of people who are like, why are you still working? You have stage four cancer. You should be like enjoying your life. And I look at them and I'm like, as far as I know, I have more energy than you do. So I'm going to continue to do what I love. And I love being a doctor. So I'm going to continue to do that. <laughs> and so I would be like, okay, that, you know. Um, and, and then I started looking at the science behind exercise. Uh, so there's a lot of science behind exercise. And we know that people who exercise actually um, improve all, like outcomes in almost all the conditions that you look at. Cardiovascular, cancer, uh, as well as um, rheumatologic disorder. So if you exercise, you actually improve your outcomes. So that's actually so good, right? And so there is a study I read, I thought it was so cool because how come exercise, when you're exercising for fun, that helps your outcome, that helps your health. But if you're doing physical activities as part of your work, then that doesn't help you. It's so weird, like why? And so I think that there is like this, you know, this mindset probably. Uh, they, and there was a study where they told some uh, cleaners in a hotel that they were exercising and that was really good for their health and they didn't say anything to the other ones. And uh, that they basically the people, the, the ladies that, uh, I think they were mostly ladies, that thought that they were exercising actually started losing weight, <laughs> which is like, that's the only thing they did. Just telling them that, oh, you know that as part of your work, you're, it looks like you're exercising so much. Um, anyway, and so the study I was referring, I wanted to talk about was so cool. So it's a study on mice or rats, one of the two. And it doesn't matter because you know it does matter, but like meaning that remember like studies that are done on rat doesn't necessarily translate in human. 
because we are much more complicated than than mice and rats. But it's really cool. They did a study where they basically created a, a melanoma, I think. Uh, and what they did is that they uh, did like they stimulated those mice to exercise versus some other mice. They were like, no, you're not going to exercise. So they would stop them from exercising. And then they gave them chemo. And the uh, mice that were exercising responded more to chemo than the other ones. And you're like, this is so cool, right? This is so, so cool. So basically what they think is that um, the immune system is so incredibly complex and so cool at the same time. But basically there's this idea that exercise stimulates your immune system. By stimulating your immune system, it's allowing your immune system to heal your body. And so it's recognizing the cancer cells as this is not normal. Um, and in rheumatologic disorder, it's kind of the same, right? It's an inflammatory response that's not normal. And so the idea is like, okay, well, how do we make, how do we get the, um, uh, the immune system to go back into balance? And so the, the exercise, some of the hypothesis is that the exercise is actually helping the immune system to get back into balance. And so that's really, really cool. So yeah, absolutely recommended. And have nice. and I think an exercise that makes you have fun, that's like the best. Yeah. Thank you. You know, when I used to live in LA, I did, uh, I have, well, I still have the dog and we did pet therapy at a cancer treatment center. And while the people were getting their infusions, they would come around with a lunch cart and they'd have a choice. Uh, it was on white bread. They could have a, a roast beef sandwich, a ham sandwich, a cheese sandwich. They had their choice of chips and their choice of soda because they just didn't believe that what they ate mattered at all. Ah, like the worst. Like it's literally the worst diet, right? Yeah. Uh, I think it doesn't cost money as much to do this type of diet versus a whole food plant-based. Um, yeah, it's so sad because now it's it's clear. It's so clear. What you eat is what you put into your, your body is so important. And like processed food in the US is so processed. Like processed food in, the, in France is not as processed as here. Um, I can eat bread in France and I will have no GI issues, no problem. I eat bread here and I literally have GI issues. Yeah, I've heard that a lot in all of Europe too. I've heard that. Yeah, it's so weird. I, I It's super annoying. So what I did is <laughs> sometimes when I want to make bread, I order French flour and then I make my own bread. It works. <laughs> but, you know, I try not to do that too often anyway, because I should not have too much bread anyway. But, you know, sometimes you want bread. <laughs> but it is very funny. Um, but, yeah, so, you know, in terms of, of the diet, like what I can. So I am a rheumatologist. So I look. So, you know, I took my cancer journey and then I was like, OK, this is what I've done. Is there research behind all of those things that I've done? And I started looking at the research behind the whole food plant based diet uh, because you know, once you're you're better, you're like, okay, do I continue this whole food plant-based diet or do I go back to eating easier food, right? Like, will I eat a burger? Will I eat, oh gosh, like the food that you just described from the hospital, <laughs> that's like awful. <laughs> um, and so that's the funny part is like, right? Like when you start seeing that your fridge looks so much nicer and inviting because it has like red and purple and uh, green and, you know, like you're like, wow, like my fridge looks beautiful right now thanks to this whole food plant-based. Whereas before it was just like, 
you know, packaged, like nothing, all white or sad. And um, so the, the rheumatologic disorders, like when I looked at the research behind the whole food plant-based diet, I think that there's a lot of things that we have to take into consideration. The number one, so this is important. So number one, both in cancer and in rheumatologic disorder, we know that being overweight and having fat tissue leads to flares and leads to cancer. So there is like a study that came after my diagnosis where clearly women who were overweight had more risk, overweight and obese had more risk of uh, breast cancer recurrence. I mean, like, and so people were like, well, they, they, like BMI doesn't mean anything. And they're like, well, it doesn't matter to me. Like the truth is that that's the study. That's what they did. They looked at the BMI. In rheumatology, what's really cool is that we actually look at the fat tissue. We can actually look at the fat, look at how much fat you have. And we have, there has been studies, uh, including some from my mentors at uh, Columbia University, where they looked at the fat tissue and they saw that the more fat tissue you have, the adipose tissue, the more risk, number one, you have more risk of developing rheumatoid arthritis and psoriatic arthritis. Number two, you have more risk of having flare and worse, like and a more severe condition, more severe disease because of this fat tissue. So then you're like, okay, number one, definitely we need to exercise and we need to have a diet that's going to have me have less fat tissue. And it's not because you look good, you don't look good. I mean, I think that people of all shapes are absolutely gorgeous and that's not what it is, but it's really like if you could prevent your rheumatoid arthritis, because you know that in your family, you have more rheumatoid arthritis. If you can prevent psoriatic arthritis flare by just making sure that you lose some of this fat tissue, that is worth it. And then you start looking at, okay, so in the diet, like what have we showed in rheumatology? It's really hard to do a study on diet, but it has been done many, many, many times. And some of the best one follow, um, so it's actually kind of cool. They follow this cohort of nurses from, I think it's Boston. I mean, I'm sure it's Boston. I think it's a Birmingham or Harvard, or maybe both actually, but basically they, they follow those nurses and they look at them and then they look, okay, who has gotten, so different type of disease, but in this case, who has gotten rheumatoid arthritis? And then they ask them to uh, tell us about their diet. And what they found is that um, like in different studies, so this one, other ones, it, sound, it looks like red meat or processed meat causes, like can actually be associated with rheumatology, rheumatoid arthritis. So like, right, like it's almost like the plot thickens. You're like, okay, processed food. Oh my, uh, and I forgot to mention processed food, absolutely linked to rheumatoid arthritis, to cancer, as well as uh, psoriatic arthritis and so on. So basically, and, and cardiovascular disease, right? So like I can talk as a rheumatologist because that's what I look, that's what I study, but I can also tell you if you do this, then you're also preventing all of those other things, right? Uh, and so you want to try to like uh, decrease anything that's packaged, anything that's processed, anything that has sugar, corn sugar is everywhere here. I don't know why. I mean, I kind of know why it's addictive. Uh, and um, uh, and then you want to decrease the amount of red meat you have. And 
you know, sometimes like people are like, are you kidding? Like I'm from Texas. <laughs> I eat red meat. That's like my thing. I love this. And they're like, eh, you can still eat. But if you're going to eat meat, then let it be the best meat on earth. And also like maybe like every six months, go to a steakhouse and indulge every six months. Just don't eat it every day. Um, and I think like by knowing that you have this possibility of eating, you know, here and there, maybe at first they're like, you know, I tell my patients like try once a week at first, then can you make it once a month? Can you make it once a six month? Uh, and, and very often it does work. So that's like the really thing that's really cool. Um, there are some good news. Can I ask you, I, I yeah. guess you, you weren't overweight though. Is that correct? I was per BMI. I was a little overweight, but it didn't look because I'm, I'm very hourglass shaped. And so it didn't look, my waist were very tiny. My hips were very large. By BMI, I think my BMI was 26. So I was technically overweight, um, but it wasn't so, and, and no one would have said that I was overweight. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Well, you know, you talk about, I mean, as a rheumatologist, isn't the root of pretty much everything inflammation? Yeah, totally everything. But the truth is that now we know that cancer is an inflammatory condition. We know that cardiovascular disease is an inflammatory condition. So then it's like, okay, probably, I mean, we think that probably every single condition is inflammatory. It's just that in rheumatology, it's more obvious. Yeah. But like, for example, I, uh, I did a study, I, I researched this in uh, patients with rheumatoid arthritis. We looked at their heart uh, and we did PET scan and we did a, they didn't have any cardiovascular disease because they, they would have been like, they, we would not have uh, uh, included them. And so we look at the heart of patients with rheumatoid arthritis who did not have heart disease. And we find that like in close to 40% of them, they had inflammation of the heart. So when you're, and then if you were to give them treatment and help them, then we saw that the inflammation was related to their disease activity. So inflammation causes harm everywhere in your body. Once you have inflammation, you can have issues in your whole body. And the truth is that, yes, we have medications, but there's also like a choice in what you can put inside of you. And that's why I, and you know, this is why I love you <laughs> because I love food. I love food. And so I didn't want to choose my food. I was like, I, I'm, I want to eat proper food. I want to eat something that's good. But then you discover new food. And then you discover that it doesn't have to always be processed meat. And it can be like, I, I don't know. I mean, I just discovered like incredible recipe that were vegetarian. And then you're like, oh my gosh, this is so good. I will eat vegetarian every day. I have no problem as long as it's good. <laughs> and then you eat this and you're like, I know that my body is thanking me right now. Yeah, that's wonderful. That There's a question from a live viewer named Susanna. What do you think about soy, tofu, tempeh, soy milk, edamame? We have a wonderful plant-based doctor of PCRM, Dr. Neil Barnard, that really recommends it because a lot of people think it's bad. Yeah, I, I mean, I love it. So you have to see. 
you come from a place I, like a lot of your audience, Chef AJ, are actually already plant-based diets. So they can go into more details and more like, you know, granular and really go and, and you know, go very strict. But for my patients, the vast majority of time, they have a sad diet, the standard American diet that you were just describing earlier, right? And so if eating the, the soy-based food is like a first pathway towards eating less processed meat, like a less processed food, sorry, less processed food, then that's like a huge win. Um, I personally love tofu, tempeh, and all of those things so that I eat them. But I think like everything, it's a question of moderation. And in terms of rheumatologic disorder, if this is the quite like if that's the question, like there is no I don't think that we have studies. I actually I have not seen them, the studies about this in rheumatologic disorder. So I would say that. The other thing, so that's like the other thing, and I didn't mention that, but I want to mention it. it's super important to me. When you try something and it works for you, it doesn't matter what the science is saying. Because what works for you, it's what works for you. If individually, when you eat soy, it doesn't make you feel good, then soy doesn't make you feel good. And that's it. And you don't need the approval of a physician to tell you that, oh, yes, you're right or you're wrong. And that reminds me of um, more than 20 years ago, one of my friends was telling me, you know, when I eat dairy, I develop tendinitis, inflammation of a tendon. Uh, or no, I, she, she said that. And then at, at first we were like, oh yeah, this is BS. Like it's not true. Like, but then, yeah, there is some, uh, evidence now that some patients develop flair when they eat dairy. So that was the first thing. Second thing, she tells me the same friend, she's like, oh, you know, when I have inflammation in my gum, I develop also again, the tendinitis. And I was like, that's really interesting. And then what do they find? Like what, what our researcher found, and now it's super well accepted, recognized, is that uh, there are, you know, gingivitis, inflammation of the gingiva, like of the gums, can lead to rheumatoid arthritis. I mean, when you as a person discover something for you, it is real. That's, yeah, I really wanted to share that. So when it comes to the soy, the tempeh and all this, like, I think you just try and see what you think about it. Uh, but there's no hard data right now in nutrition, like in uh, rheumatology that I know of, at least. Thank you. What condition do you mostly see in your practice? Uh, so inflammatory condition mostly. So uh, rheumatoid arthritis, psoriatic arthritis, lupus, gout, uh, ankylosing spondylitis, inflammatory back pain. And then I also do a lot of diagnostic because I'm, uh, I love, I, I'm like Dr. House without the, I, no, I think I'm Dr. House without the attitude or another one, <laughs> because of the joke. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so I love diagnosing patients. Like I really like, uh, I think that that's one of my zone of genius is that I can come after 10 other rheumatologists and other specialists, and I will make the proper diagnosis and I will get my patients in path on the path of the proper treatment. So that's, you know, that's what I do. Marcia's saying, well, what is the treatment for gout? Oh, really? That's a cool one. Okay, thank you. Thank you for asking this. So gout, basically, you it's related to uric acid. There's too many, too much uric acid in your uh, in your body. And so either because you're eating too much, you're, like you're eating too much purine. So that's what, and then it, it degrades into uric acid. So that's usually in 
uh, high protein, like animal protein products. So like if you're eating a lot of seafood or if you're eating a lot of red meat, you're going to have more risk of having a gout. And uh, or you have not enough excretion of this uric acid. So you have too much uric acid. So the goal of gout treatment is to decrease the uric acid. You can do this with a diet. And very often we need to help you with medication, which is called the, like the first line is called allopurinol. So we decrease the uric acid. The thing that a lot of people don't understand, even in medicine, is that as you're coming down of your uric acid, you may develop flare. And so as, as long as you're coming down of your uric acid and we have to adjust the dose of allopurinol, we recommend that you're also on colchicine. And colchicine is not nephrotoxic, which is good, right? So you're going to do decrease the uric acid with the allopurinol. As you're increasing the dose of allopurinol, you're staying on the colchicine. And then at one point, you're at goal of your uric acid and uh, you haven't had any more flares. And that is when you can stop after four to six months, you can stop the colchicine and just live with just your allopurinol. And then that's what I tell my patients, right? Once you're in perfect remission and you're doing really well and your uric acid is really at goal, then what we can do is that we can try to decrease the allopurinol because maybe you have a new diet and maybe you're doing well and, and so on. And we can see how you're doing and we can just, you know, uh, look at the uric acid. You know, it's interesting for all the people and even doctors, because they didn't have much nutrition, if any, in medical school that believe that diet doesn't matter in some of these conditions. You know, I used to work at a place called the True North Health Center in Santa Rosa. It's a medically supervised therapeutic water only fasting center. And if diet doesn't matter, then why, when they withhold all, all food and just give patients water with these inflammatory conditions that they would see a rheumatologist for, they all get well. Yeah. Oh, I absolutely certain that uh, diet plays a role in everything. It's just so hard to prove. So hard to prove. You know, I had a long training in nutrition um, when I was in France, but it wasn't about what we eat. It was like how many calories you're supposed to eat, how to count the calories. Like, why did I need to learn how to count the calories? I still don't understand. So how to count the calories and how to put a TPN, which is like, if you cannot eat through your uh, mouth, then how can you like to make sure that you're going to get enough nutrition for your veins? Like, this was my nutrition uh, uh, learning, <laughs> that teaching. Like, I, I think we could have done way better. Yeah. Here's, uh, Kim says, do you have any idea what would cause sudden gout in a husband who's been eating primarily plant-based? See that primarily, mostly, those are all like, hmm, why doesn't he go, but, most, why doesn't he go all plant-based and see what <laughs> I, I mean, yeah, primarily it's, it's, it's better than none, right? Right. Uh, no, I, exactly. But I mean, like for me, like the obvious thing would be, okay, now go all plant-based and see if it goes away. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. I think you can try that. There's also the, the fact that um, there can be like some kidney issues, like, right? Like we don't hear, like gout flare is going to be usually triggered either by a really like heavy meal, rich in, you know, again, a lot of purine. So it's usually not plant. <laughs> Um, and, and then, well, you know, like some, some patients, if they eat mushroom, because it's rich, uh, important, they actually will trigger, it will trigger, uh, a gout flare, but yeah, for example, if your, if your husband has, uh, recently started a diuretic, um, that will do that. 
uh, or if there has been a stress in his life that will do that. Or maybe there was a trauma on his foot that will do that. So there's like so many reasons why you can uh, uh, develop a, a flare of gout. And if it's just one flare, by the way, we don't necessarily treat other than treat the flare. We don't necessarily need to decrease the uric acid because we think just one flare is probably enough as long as the uric acid is not too, too high. Yeah. Yeah. There's a question about Sjogren's. Uh, Sjogren. Yeah. So uh, the person is saying that they eat, let's see, I just saw it. Uh, besides being plant-based, uh, Betsy says, how would you treat it? I eat mainly vegetables, 80% raw, and I'm very active. Maybe you can talk about what Sjogren's is, because I'm not sure everybody has. Yeah. Well, Sjogren's an autoimmune disorder. It comes actually from the north of uh, Europe. So Sjogren is uh, the name of a Swedish uh, doctor that gave his name to uh, this condition. And so what it does is that it um, basically causes, at first, probably, we think, inflammation of um uh, the salivary gland, the lacrimal gland, uh, and then after a while it gets it gets um, uh, fibrotic, so scarring, and so then you don't tear as much as you should. You you have very dry mouth, you have very dry eyes, you have very dry vagina, and then you can also develop neurological issues. You can develop pain all over your body, joint pain, uh, as well as lung disease. So that's like, those are like the main one. And you can also have like vasculitis, so inflammation of the vessel. And then ultimately, because it's a B cell issue, if it's a very severe Sjogren and if it's untreated and it's, you know, very active, you can actually develop all the way to lymphoma. So it can be very minimal to very severe, basically. Um, and um, there's not a ton of treatment for very minimal manifestation of Sjogren, uh, and not much have been has been proven. But I would say that if you have joint pain, then we recommend hydroxychloroquine, which is not immunosuppressive. And the way that drug uh, works is that it kind of reestablishes the balance in your immune system. Um, and we usually offer like supportive treatment with you know if you have dry eyes, we offer. Uh, um, like either to like do some plugging of your tears to keep them of the tear duct to keep the tears um, stimulate the saliva and uh, and then if you have actually other symptoms that are more severe then we actually use biologics for that and we have like some that we like better than others uh, but it's really more depending on the patient actually really uh, I would say that I do think that in patients with Sjogren, probably more than anyone else, the ones that have a non-severe form from a medicine standpoint, honestly, the problem with when I say non-severe is that the quality of life can be really affected. Uh, and so it can really suck. Like really, like we have patients who really don't have a really cool quality of life because they have Sjogren. Um, and so, yeah, that's actually... I would say that for those patients, really, I think that the whole food plant-based diet that you're talking about, absolutely doing that, exercising on a regular basis, absolutely doing this, meditation, visualization, like all of those things, because it's not one or the other, it's uh, a, like together. And talking about that, there are some studies super well done that show that the combination of different factors is really what helps the most. So for example, like 
you could say, oh, I'm going to quit smoking or do a plant-based diet or exercise. But really what's like, it's not, if you do one plus one plus one, it, it's not equals three, but it's like equals nine because it's like symbiotic, symbiotic, it's synergistic. Yeah. Do you I hope have, I helped. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Do you have to get like regular scans or checkups now or how often? For me? Yeah. Like, do you have oh, yeah. to? Or how I'm, I'm checked. Have- I'm a very expensive patient for my insurance. <laughs> I'm worth it because I think every single patient is worth it. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I do a PET scan every six months or a CT scan. Depending. I prefer PET scan because it's just one time. Um, so one PET scan every six months and I do MRI of my breast because PET scan can look at everything. The problem is that it's not very good for the breast. And so then I do one MRI per year and one mammogram mammography per year yeah right yeah do, yeah do it's really think, not a big deal i can imagine that worrying is not good oh, yeah this so how, do you you know i hear about this thing called scanxiety where people that have oh. it like that. so do you how do you like not worry between scans oh between scan i don't worry i worry the one week before the scan nice and i try to yeah i try to do that i try to so i try to tell myself what I tell my patient. So I try to be, so it's really funny. The reassuring voice in my head is the physician voice. And so this is what I tell myself. And this is what I tell my patient, right? I'm like, okay, look, those scans are for your doctors. They are not for you. The job that you have as a patient is to show up for the scans, to do them, and to live your life to the fullest otherwise. Your doctor, if if they see something, that's their job to do what needs to be done next. And so I tell this to myself. And when I'm freaked out, I'm like, okay. I write in my journal. I'm like, it's normal to be freaked out. Of course, you're freaked out. And it's so scary. And of course, you don't want to go through this again. And of course, and you're doing everything that uh, you can to make sure that this doesn't happen. But I, I really scan myself and I'm like, hold on, I've done everything that I could do. Yes, my diet could be better, no question. Like I like chocolate and it's sometimes not just 85% chocolate, but overall, I'm doing everything that I need to do. I take my medicine, I do everything that I need to do. And so at the end of the day, I'm doing everything that I need to do and my doctor needs to do what they need to do too. And so that's, I cannot leave it uh, to them, yeah. And, you know, that's the other thing, like, I, like, I think that going to the worst case scenario for me is very reassuring because I'm like, okay, all right, Isabel, if they were to find something, what would they do? Okay, fine. They change treatment. We'll, to, we'll take another treatment. Bam. That's it. And it's very funny. My physician brain is like, yeah, of course, duh. You know, my patient's brain is like, ah, I don't want that. <laughs> Um, but that's what I do with my patients when they have rheumatoid arthritis, for example, you take like the goal is remission. So poo, 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 we get you to remission. You lose the efficacy. The medication loses the efficacy. We have other treatments. We switch, you know, nice. There's a question about a swollen finger. I just saw it from one of the oh, swollen finger. They have a swollen yeah, finger. Okay. Finger. Hold on. Where did it go? Um, that sounds like dactylitis. Is it just, is it the whole finger? Let me find because the chat here, here it is from Annette. I have inflammation swelling in my middle finger. I can't bend it all the way with the 
and the pain radiates down my palm. I'm scared. It's the start of arthritis. What can I do? It's been over two months. Oh, wow. Okay. That's been a while. Uh, so is it worse? I mean, yeah, sorry. Like suddenly I'm like, oh, I want to, I want to be a doctor right now. Uh, so <laughs> I would say that there's like, so once you have this and if it's a full swollen fingers, absolutely it can be the beginning of arthritis. But if it is inflammatory arthritis, we've got you. We have amazing treatments. So that would actually be a good thing. And so what I would recommend is to go and see uh, your primary care physician and see if you need to be referred to a rheumatologist. When it's a full, so let's say it's the full finger that's swollen, that's called dactylitis. That's called sausage finger. That's usually more associated with psoriatic arthritis. So if you have psoriasis, or if you have ever had psoriasis, or if in your family you have had psoriasis, I would say that that's something that you want to, you definitely want to see a rheumatologist because again, we have amazing treatments. <laughs> Thank you. And then there's a toe question. Um, I have possible occasional arthritis in only one big toe. Oh, interesting. Um, well, so that can be a lot. So if it's the big toe, it can be osteoarthritis, which is wear and tear. That's what's going to cause the bunion. Uh, and that to that, we cannot really do much in surgery really to get rid of it. But otherwise, and if it's not that painful, I wouldn't. Um, it can be gout or pseudogout. Uh, so it depends if it's super painful, then it's probably gout or pseudo gout. If it's just painful, nagging pain, but not super painful, then it's probably just osteoarthritis. Yeah. Interesting. And Marianne says, what are your thoughts on a vegan alkaline diet to combat inflammation? You know, I, so, so the problem with vegan, when you just say vegan diet or vegan alkaline, so first of all, alkaline, I do not know. Again, I will come back. I'll, I'm going back to try it and see if that makes you feel better. However, this is the one thing that I would say. Vegan can be super unhealthy because I could literally eat chips all day and I could literally eat bread and processed bread and, you know, and chips and pasta and rice. And that will be considered vegan. And that's probably the worst diet. Um, so when you're thinking, okay, I'm going to get a vegan diet, make sure that it's a whole food plant-based because yeah. you want to have veggies and you want to have fruits. And um, yeah, veggies are good and legumes and all this. So yeah. are, are there, I don't, are there certain foods that are really like beneficial for people that have cancer? I mean, I, I've taken Chris Works. Uh, I've read his book. He He's a cancer survivor and he just, you know, obviously greens, even juicing, do anything like that, that you find valuable. Uh, yeah. So I've, I'm going to first talk about rheumatology because that's really what I know the most. I would say like in general, um, omega-3 has proven that it actually works. So you can either, either eat fish here and there or uh, eat, uh, like just take some omega-3 and then veggies and uh, low glycemic index fruits. That's like super healthy. Like that's super, super good. Um, in cancer, what did I read? I think in cancer, basically what I had read was that basically you want to avoid processed meat. And so um, the, uh, you know, the, the green smoothies and all this, like it's full of super antioxidant food. So that's super good. 
Turmeric is also something that's super good in rheumatologic condition. You want to add turmeric to your food. So yeah, a lot of veggies, a lot of greens, um, lots of greens. That's super good for uh, inflammation. Uh, Susan says, how long have you been in remission? Uh, since, uh, well, so my last PET scan, like the PET scan after the chemo in July of 2019 was normal. So I considered that to be a remission, but really when they removed the breast and there was this little, little cancer, which I honestly think I'm going to, I want to think is scarring. That was in November of 2019. So technically really 2019. So basically I got diagnosed in 2019 and I've been in remission since. So that's wonderful. Yeah. Randy says, I'm very stiff. I'm 67 in whole food and totally plant-based. Yeah. Um, so stiffness can come from so many different, uh, rheumatologic condition. Uh, if you are stiff more than 30 minutes in the morning, then I highly recommend you see a rheumatologist. If it is 30 minutes or less, and if it's every time that you're moving from, uh, you know, something, and then you're like, Ooh, uh, then that's probably osteoarthritis. And here's the thing we can do as you know you're doing like maybe maybe this is what you have to think maybe if you were not whole food plant-based and active you would be much worse so i would absolutely continue to do that uh to be a whole food plant-based and then at the same time try to see if what you have maybe is an inflammatory arthritis because the truth is that yeah you know like this diet it's wonderful nutrition choice is super important but if, like me, you have BRCA, you also have more risk of developing breast cancer. Uh, and so if, like, uh, maybe your mom had osteoarthritis, you have more chance of developing osteoarthritis. Maybe it just is going to be less severe and uh, appear further uh, down the road than if you were not doing this diet. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. Um there's a question, how do you get all the amino acids and nutrients in plants? Well, you eat them. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah I, I I, don't, uh, I think Chef Eiji actually knows more than me on this one. <laughs> I, mean, he, I mean, I don't believe there's anything that you can't get from a plant that you can get. I mean, I've always been, I mean, I took the, you know, the plant-based nutrition course at Cornell. And one of the things they said is there's nothing that you can get from animals that you can't get indeed is good in a better or more utilizable form with the exception of vitamin B12. And that's not because it's in meat. It's because of the soil being so depleted that, that that's why people are, are lacking in B12. And it's not just people that are plant-based that often have B12 deficiencies. So yeah, nice. So, you know, like you, you, you had mentioned that person said cancer is a gift, but it's not a gift that a lot of people probably want to get. So how, how important do you think your attitude was in your recovery? Oh. Yeah. You know, I don't know. I don't know that uh, I can answer this question because um, I think intuition plays a huge part and my intuition was telling me that it was going to be okay. My intuition was telling me that I had the gift of choice. I could choose to live or to go. That was my intuition. 
And so I don't know that everyone has the same intuition. And so it's easier to say, oh, my attitude really helped me. Uh, and that's why, you know, but I think that it's a combination of being surrounded by a lot of loving people. Uh, my friends from France, my family, my people here in Denver, Colorado. Uh, I really felt like super, super loved. And my like the the plant-based diet that I did, the exercise that I did, the meditation, the visualization, and all of this absolutely helped. I think that I can never prove that it has helped my recovery. What I can what I can say for sure is that it helped me go all the way to the full treatment, which I probably would have, well, I don't know if I would have given up, but it was hard. It was really hard. Toward the end, you're just like, oh, I can't. It's like a marathon. Um, and so, and I was like meditating every morning and I was just like, no, of course I'm doing this. It's fine. It's for me. I know it's, it's good. Uh, so I don't think that, like, I think it definitely played a role, but it's, um, it's important to realize that it's an empowerment to the patient. And that's why it's so valuable is that it's like, you know, you go to the doctor to see you for, you know, not so long. And I, and I did love my, I did, you know, I love my, my oncologist, but they are busy and they are insurance based. I'm not anymore, but you know, like they are busy. And so, uh, you know, at the end of the day, like in between the three months, who do you see? Just you and the coaches that I had hired. Cause I was like, okay, I don't know if I'm going to leave. So I'm going to hire, I had like a full budget. I was like, I'm, I'm not putting any money for my 401k. I don't know if I'm here. So this money is going to go for me. <laughs> and I did no regret. Zero. There's a question from Amy. Did you do any juicing during your cancer healing time? I did not. I did not. So one of the reasons I did not was that um, the 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 fibers that are in the food for me are important. And so, for example, like what's the difference between a white potato and a sweet potato is the fibers. There's a lot more fibers in the sweet potato. And so I think that the sweet potato, because it has all these fibers, that's really good. If you start doing juicing for me, I just felt like it was just going to be sugar. And actually, when you look at all the all the juices that are out there, there's so much sugar. It's ridiculous. It's like I thought like I started like doing this green juice and it was like that much. And I looked at the sugar, it was 16 gram. And I was like, no, I'm not eating 16 gram of sugar. No ways. Uh, so I didn't do uh, juices. But again, remember, whatever makes you feel good. And when you do it, you're like, I this makes sense for me. The reason the juicing didn't make sense for me was that I wanted that, like I want the fibers and also I don't want the additional sugar because cancer, I don't want sugar. Yeah. Even like a green juice. Cause when I, when I, I don't have juice often, but I, if I had a juicer, I might, I, I always do mostly green. Yeah. The only thing is that I didn't know how to do them myself. So I would buy them online. Like uh, I would buy them, you know, at Whole Foods and all this. And they always had added sugar. They always had 16 gram, if not 18 gram of sugar. And I was like, I'm not putting 18 gram of sugar in my body yeah. at that moment. I, like, I don't know. Yeah. I hear you. I hear you. Um, Cheryl would like to know if inflammatory diseases are on the rise and what would you consider is the biggest contributing cause? Absolutely. It's on the rise. There's no question. It's, it's, um, it's actually proven there's more and more cancer. They can't really explain uh, they, they like, and it's younger also, right? Like, so younger people, um, I think that the diet, I think that, uh, we are just reaping the effect of a poor diet 
I mean, uh, like we are doing whole food plant-based only for how long now? It's probably been 10 years. Like, and, and the first, the first people who were like talking about it were looked at with big eyes from the communities, uh, probably 10 years. And really it's starting to be mainstream in the last, what, five years. So now it's going to be good. Now we're going to see it getting better. But remember, it's like smoking. Everyone's more smoking. Then everyone, like, then later on, people start developing cancer. And then, you know, it's only now that people are not smoking that we're going to see a ripple effect. So I think that that's the same thing. I do think that the diet is a huge, huge component of the inflammatory, uh, inflammatory um, conditions. Um, and then, you know, uh, infections such as COVID, we know can cause inflammatory uh, conditions. Uh, it can develop, you can also develop diabetes uh, after. So there is like, you know, for sure, COVID is also a big one. So if people want to see you in person, or uh, where would they go? And do you have any social media presence if people yeah, want to follow I you? I do. Thank you so much for asking. So I uh, created the first direct care or concierge rheumatology practice in Denver, Colorado. So I'm, I have the first one in Colorado because after being a patient, I realized that we are mistreating our patients in the insurance-based model. And I didn't want to mistreat my patients after being a patient myself. I was like, they need, they deserve better. And so, yeah, I have a practice called Unabridged MD. And the reason I called it like that was that I want to be non-edited for my patients so that they see the full version of me. I don't hide. I say exactly who I am, what I do. And also, I didn't want to see the edited version of them in the sense of I'm only going to treat this part of you. I'm going to treat the whole part of you. Uh, so it's called Unabridged MD. I have a podcast called Unabridged MD. And I also have a YouTube channel where it's Rheumatology 101. So anyone that has a rheumatology condition can look at this. It's much more rheumatologic, whereas the Unabridged MD podcast is more Kind of what Dr. Chef AJ does, like I just talk to people and I just, I just like, it's just kind of like health. What does health means? And then I have a blog uh, and like social media on uh, YouTube, uh, uh, sorry, Instagram, Facebook, uh, and I think it's also on TikTok and, uh, and the usual Twitter or X on average MD. Yeah. Nice. And then, yeah, I see new patients. I love seeing patients. It's my pleasure in life. Uh, and so I'm currently accepting new patients. And so you can um, even up on a discovery card if you're interested. I have licenses uh, in Colorado, Minnesota, Wisconsin, Michigan. So I can see anyone there. If you have, a, uh, if you live somewhere else, I would highly recommend you come and uh, check Denver out because it's an awesome city and we have the mountain next door. <laughs> and then we can always follow up after that. Do you cook French food? <laughs> I do. I do. I love food. I really oh do. Oh my god! I'm, it's yeah. just—it's amazing. Is it—is it hard to get your children to eat healthy? My son. It's really funny. He will read. So they are both. They are twins. They are eight years old now. Uh, my son reads everything since he's six years old. So I—I I joke. I—I—I I, I do funny things. I will be like. Uh, leaving a book here, leaving a book there, like, you know, how to be polite, how to win friends and influence people. <laughs> and then there's this uh, diet there. It's a Chris Carr. What's our, uh, this crazy sexy diet. I actually have never really read the whole thing. I just thought it was a cool book. 
Uh, and my son read it because it was in the car and he's reading out of this book, but you know what he eats? Pasta, rice, burger. I mean, I don't feed him burger, uh, yeah. but pasta, rice, and that's all he eats. And actually, surprisingly, broccoli. So I, I try to feed him a lot of broccoli, broccoli, but that's all he eats. And bacon, he loves bacon. And he's so tiny at one point, like his pediatrician is like, just feed him whatever he wants. I'm like, yeah, burn. Yeah. Oh, and it's God. funny, he's read the book. I haven't read the book. He's read the book. And he's like, mom, did you know that processed food is really bad for you? And I'm like, yeah, I know. And what are you eating? <laughs> That is so funny. Well, he's young. Maybe there's hope. He's young. Yeah, exactly. He's eight years old. <laughs> well, thank you so much. And congratulations on, on your recovery and in, uh, and sharing your story with us. Thank you. Thank you so much, Chef AJ, for having me on here. And oh, my, my pleasure. Thank you, Dr. Amig. And thanks all of you for watching another episode of Chef AJ Live. Two shows tomorrow, 9 a.m. We have Broccoli Mom coming back doing oil-free Indian food. And 11 a.m. We have Dr. Andrew Klonicky. Take care, everyone.